0: Shall we bow for prayer? May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable, Lord, in your sight, you who are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. This would be a great opportunity this morning for testimonies, but I'm going to just let you just think about it. How many of you have been surprised lately? Anybody? Right here, yeah? Did I hear a? Or no, no. Well, it happens. Sure, it does. And now you're thinking about. Hmm. When was the last time somebody totally surprised me? Good. I'm glad you're thinking about it. An engagement. Oh, especially for the bride. What a surprise! You've ever seen the the guys who've been courageous enough to rent a plane and fly up and over the city with the name of the bride and I mean of the of the bride-to-be, her name, will you marry me? Saw that once. Oh, what a surprise that was over the city and for the lady. Announcing a pregnancy. Oh, what a surprise for some. Some of you watch um, America's f- uh, favorite video. Not, I mean, hmm. funniest, yeah. Man, I should, be, I should know better, I watch it. America's funniest videos. And some of the things that happen on those are such a surprise. Whoa, did that really happen? Surprise is a concept that, you know, has always generally been favorable to us. Like, surprises usually go very well with us, don't they? Um, Last Sunday at the the, uh, church business meeting, I was totally surprised by the greetings of my birthday. I really thought I kept it to myself. It was pleasant. Thank you very much. Surprise. And I realized too this morning that some surprises that come are not positive. Some of you even this morning may be thinking as I raise the subject, George, one of my most recent surprises was not good at all. And I'm sorry, you may be thinking about that, but that's okay as well. Because surprises involve positive and also negative. I was drawn back to an experience that goes to my 50th birthday. My Judy who has always been so sweet to me and I wish she was here to hear that. <laughs> Maybe I'll get her a listen of the tape. Who's always been so sweet to me on my 50th birthday when we were involved in leadership at White Rock Baptist planned a party and I didn't know much about it. I knew she was, you know, doing these posters with pictures, and I had some, but I didn't really know what was going on. And after the evening service, you know, the family showed up, and everybody went into the gym, and they celebrated my birthday. It was a wonderful experience for one of those major events that I can still remember a little bit about, my 50th birthday. But the surprise was even greater, and I've told some of you, I think, this story. We uh, left the church last of course, which is typical for pastors. And we drove home in the evening, drove into the garage in our particular house at that time. The garage, double garage, had a door at the front where you went into the laundry room and then into the family room. And so we exited the car and carried a few things in. And and I was just comfortably uh, having enjoyed the birthday party. And we opened up the the door to the family room uh, because Judy obviously wanted me to go first. And there, sitting in the family room, was a motorcycle. Honest. Really. A motorcycle in the house. And all of our children and, and standing behind and some friends standing in the kitchen, sort of enjoying a total surprise. I mean I really was. She spent my money, she looked for <laughs> she <laughs> she she and our son went and looked for a bike that was similar to the one that he had. And did all that, and I had, honestly, to this day I say, I wasn't asking for a bike. And I was absolutely so shocked and surprised, of course, in a pleasurable way. And some of you are remembering, aren't you, some of those surprises that someone has lovingly done for you in the past with me this morning. The text that was read this morning, in my understanding of it, has to do with a surprise. What I want to suggest is the greatest surprise in history. It's quite a statement. Yep. The greatest surprise in history. The context, of course, is in Colossians chapter 1, in which Paul is writing to a church and indicating as he writes through the first chapter and into the second chapter this significant Surprise, writing to Colossians who make up, of course, Jewish believers and non-Jewish or Gentile believers, as the phrase was used back then. So believers in a, in a church, a new church, uh, who are Jewish and who are Gentile. And the surprise that he writes about is the surprise of the century. Paul related the greatest surprise in all history in this text. Not unlike the surprise in Acts chapter 12 when Rhoda, with her Bible study group and prayer group, right, met for prayer because Peter was in prison. And they were praying for Peter to be released, as we read in Acts chapter 12. And the aunt, just like yourselves, you know, when we pray seriously, we, we really believe God will answer, right? And so they're at prayer in this evening. And if you read all of Acts 12, you'd realize that there was a context of Peter's imprisonment, which we won't get into, but then there's a a knock on the door. And Rhoda, a young lady, goes to the door in the context of praying for Peter's release. And she opens the door, and standing there is Peter, and she's so surprised, she slams the door, runs back to the prayer group, and says, Guess what? Peter's free. No, he's not. Rhoda, don't be so ridiculous. Surprise. In Colossians, the writer Paul addresses this great surprise. This surprise is the means whereby God and mankind, all of mankind, can be reunited together, which we celebrate shortly around the Lord's table. All mankind united. What? All mankind? Every color? every religious background, every age, for all history, for eternity, united, together. Really? And sometimes, my friends, I'm sure you pray that way, and I pray that way. God, bring people together, bring people into the kingdom, bring people to salvation of faith, and then we leave our prayer time and our closet and really don't expect it to happen. Some of us might be that way. But all along, God had planned for mankind to be pulled together. As we read in Genesis 3, 15, which was an introductory verse to the gospel. The surprise is almost too much to take in. Really? That's what he's writing about? Let's look at it briefly this morning. First of all, God's plan is, first of all, to present you to you the word of God in all its fullness. To present to you and me the Word of God in all its fullness. God has kept nothing back, Paul writes. No knowledge that is essential to understand the plan that he has for all of us. The knowledge of this plan, this miracle, this surprise is all here in God's Word. And he says in, the, in, in that verse of verse 25... He says, in all its fullness, there's nothing left. The idea of fullness means completeness. It means to bring something to completion, to finish, that has already begun and will come to an end. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. Same book, verses 9 and 10, refers to that. For this reason, Paul writes to the church, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with all knowledge of His will through wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. A complete picture of fullness that affects you and I. Paul is completing his life of ministry at this time. And he's proclaiming that he has finished the task. I fully told the story. I've completed the message. And Colossians, you're getting it right now. The fully proclaimed gospel. For that's the task of Ebenezer, is it not, this morning? To pass on to people the full gospel in its completeness, to share with your neighbors and friends, the people at work, the the people in the desk next to you in the classroom, to when the occasion arises and the moment is presented to you that you can talk a little bit about in answer to their questions, a little bit about your relationship to God and what God has done in Jesus Christ. That is the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go into the world and speak the gospel to everyone. In Acts 20, 24, Paul says, I've finished the task. I've completed it. I've done. I'm near the end of my ministry. He says, let it be known that the gospel can be known in fullness completely by anyone who is searching. And so the reason of Ebenezer, the task, not just as we worship, but as we are in our workplace, in our life during the week, the reason we are here on this earth is to let the world know who God is. My friends, the world, in the confusion of today, in the religious confusion, has no idea who God is. Less of an idea who Jesus is. And we believe through the Gospels and through Paul's teaching and the teaching of others that the way the world discovers who God is, is through the simple message of Jesus. He is the doorway through which we get to God. He's the the doorway through which understanding comes in its fullness. As much as God wants us to know about himself, we discover it through Jesus. We will never, of course, know everything about God. His intention is not to tell us everything. He's not told us everything about creation. He's not told us everything about cell division. But he's told us enough. And to find him for eternity, he says, Let's Look through the door of Jesus, and I will completely tell you all you need to know about me in fullness jesus is not slacking in terms of meeting all god's requirements of meeting mankind surprise it's jesus secondly this morning the age-old mystery in verse 26 is revealed the age-old mystery is revealed throughout the old testament there's a mystery according to what paul writes to the colossians there's a mystery There's something that has not quite been settled. There's something that's still unclear. And so he writes to Colossians, as he says, That mystery concealed in the writings and the statements of God, that mystery is that God himself will come and redeem all mankind from their sin and separation. That mystery is revealed in Jesus. And here Paul writes to Colossians, and he says, In that context of Christ's work of redemption on the cross, that mystery is revealed to the saints. Surprise! It is clear that he spoke to Jews and Gentiles, as I mentioned. They together were let in on the secret in this passage. It means it's no longer a mystery. The surprise is settled. The mystery is dealt with. But why such a mystery? Especially in our country, in Canada, in your workplace, maybe even in the congregation this morning. Why Is it still such a mystery then? It is a mystery that has been right through the Old Testament writings. It has come right through the Jewish tradition into the Christian tradition. It is a mystery of how God reveals himself to this earth, to us. Why still today? Why where you are? Why in the classroom? Why is it so dangerous that this mystery still is that and that mankind is not united, and that families, individuals, even marriages are not united yet in Christ. Why is there still a mystery this morning? Not long ago in Surrey, uh, Surrey was challenged in the sense that there was no Christian organization meeting in the schools, and that's been the case for some time, but a powwow was being allowed in the school. Those of us who have any religious sensitivities were puzzled. Is it possible that the pressure of First Nations in Canada will eventually allow the church once again to have clubs in schools, Christian clubs maybe? I don't know. For there remains a mystery that surrounds religious teachings and religious beliefs. And you see it wherever you are, as I do. But of course, this morning, my friends, Paul is not writing about a religion. Amen? He is not writing about a religion. He is writing about a relationship. The mystery, the surprise, is solved by a person. The person of Jesus Christ. It is not about religion. It is not about the divisiveness of all mankind, man-made religions. It is not, my friends, about that. The mystery is solved because of your relationship and my relationship to a person who we remember this morning around the communion table. It's a, it's a relationship. In Acts 16, you know the story of Lydia. There she is. Uh, Paul has recently gone across with that other beautiful story of going to Ma- being called to Macedonia. He shows up in Macedonia. Within the first day or so, he's down in Philippi. And in the morning, he decides maybe he's heard about it. I don't know. But he discovers that there's a Bible study group meeting on the riverside. Let's go down and join them. Let's see what's going on. Some kind of a group getting together. Lydia's group. Well, in sharing the release of the mystery, an Old Testament group, a Jewish group, to this group at the beach, and to sharing about the mystery, Lydia discovers the personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And there, in a simple surprise, Lydia becomes a convert. And we know her story. She was a worshiper of God. She was part of the complex mystery of the Old Testament until the person of Jesus was addressed by Paul, the apostle. And her response and her household response was to believe and be immersed. The mystery is that we're talking about a relationship with Jesus, a personal encounter. Thirdly, God's plan further included, Christ in you, the hope of glory, verse 27, the hope of glory. Paul here is attempting to equalize the playing field, would be my way of putting it. He came into a context, a very common view, which I'll only briefly touch on. It's somewhat complicated, but it's certainly consistent throughout the New Testament particularly. But there was a belief at the time that, it was, that there's an inequality amongst people. You say, George, <laughs> what's changed? <laughs> that there's an inequality amongst people. Some are better than others. And the, the, the view of Gnosticism was simply this. Some people are capable of some kinds of knowledge that other people are not capable of understanding. That's a really brief, simple, if you're a professor here, I, I, you're going to say, George, that's too simple, but that's okay. That's the simple understanding of Gnosticism. Some people were able, they had the ability, they had the whatever it takes to understand certain knowledge and others did not. Never could happen. Separation. Division. Power, right? One over the other. Power. Tremendous uh, uh, opportunity for power. So Gnostic teaching at the time in Colossae was there and there was this inequality in terms of understanding who God was. But Paul writes the Colossians. he says, everyone can come to the full knowledge of Jesus Christ. He's saying to everyone there in the context of the church at Colossae, there is no one left out. There is no one who cannot understand the personal relationship one needs to have with Jesus Christ. There is nobody who can't get it. That's the mystery solved. That's the surprise. We're not in, divided into groups of our understanding. We're not separate from somebody else, them and us. In some cases, it was described by Paul as you know, Jews and Gentiles, however you want to phrase it. There were different ways of making divisions, groups. But he writes and says, everyone can come to know who God is through Jesus Christ. This is the surprise for all who were reading Colossians into a world of separation, whatever that separation is. Knowledge, lack of knowledge, ability, lack of ability, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, cultured, uncultured, one color, another color, watch this, men, women, whatever your concept of vision is, Paul writes the Colossians and says, there is no more division. There's no more inequality. Surprise! Into this world God speaks through the gospel and states that everyone may know the mystery of God, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Where is the surprise? In Christ. Where is it all, the message hidden? In Christ. Where's the wisdom found? In Christ. Where's the truth found? In Christ. And this flies in the face of all that they understood and were taught by their false teachers. Quickly moving on to the fourth point this morning. God, His plan included, to present everyone fully mature. I'll lean on this, spend a few moments on this this morning. and included presenting everyone Fully mature in Christ. Verse 28. Everyone fully mature. The goal of the church, right? The goal of Ebenezer. The goal of his message to the Colossians was this. Every person can through time in the leadership of the Holy Spirit, having put faith and trust in Jesus Christ, can come to full maturity in faith. Fully mature. Some translations say perfect. I, I shy away from perfect. Perfect. Uh, knowing me. But fully mature, you know, has the idea that there's still some space, I can do better, and I'm moving along after 60 some odd years of being a believer, I guess nearly, oh, never mind, long time. Even in that time, there's still some space to grow, to mature, to become fully mature. But Paul says it can happen through our walking with Jesus, becoming fully mature. And there's nobody else escaping that all of us even if you're young this morning even if you're a young believer this morning you can be rest assured that the goal of the holy spirit in your life is to move you to a mature walk in him and i guess the way i look at it it's more mature than last week or more mature than last month that's all i really ask for committing certain sins less or by god's grace not having to deal with certain sins anymore Isn't that a wonderful experience in your walk when there's been some sin that's latched onto you and controlled you and, and made you miserable? And by God's grace, through developing maturity, you can one day find yourself looking back and say, you know what, George? I don't face that sin anymore. It is not a power in my life. Satan has no control in that in my life. And you celebrate. You have become more fully mature. Isn't that a wonderful experience for us? That's how it works. That everyone can develop and become fully mature. Verse 28. He is the one we proclaim admonishingly and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. I uh, took a moment to look at your mission statement. I bet you can't quote it. So I've got it here. Ebenezer's mission statement. We glorify God by winning and building passionate, lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. Right? We glorify God by winning and building passionate, lifelong believers following Jesus Christ. Friends, that is moving people along to a developing maturity and becoming more mature. That's the goal of our church. That's why we're here. This has been... Uh, produced by some of your leaders many years ago. And we will eventually, by God's grace, be presented to the Father a pure bride, a pure person in purity and perfection. But not yet. But that is the goal for us. I received a phone call not long ago from a man. (laughs) I wrote young man. Well, he is young because he's younger than me. Everybody's younger than me. Uh, A young man who phoned me up and I hadn't heard from him for 10 years. And he was involved in the White Rock Baptist Church back when we were there. He was a trucker and is a trucker. And I'd met him and watched him uh, confess his sins and make a profession of Christ. He had issues to deal with. He was going through a divorce and the awkwardness of that. He had had a child out of wedlock and he as who was now a young teenager at the time and, you know, working through all those conflicting things. But you know, he persisted. And uh, he, he, he made decisions to control his life and work on his life. And, and he used to take my sermons and take him in his truck and listen to them. <laughs> Crazy. Used to listen to them as he drove his truck through the States. Bless his heart. So not long ago, he phoned me up. Ten years had passed. And he called me up. George, he says, I just want you to know. I want you to know that I've been into a rehab situation. And once again, I'm back on track. So in other words, there's the process, friends. And it doesn't always end quite the way you want. Because there's no end till glory, right? And sometimes you fall and you fail and you get up again. And he just wanted to phone me and say, George, I'm up again. You know, I'm better than I was. By God's grace. One last point I want to share with you this morning. Because I find it so important and usual. And you'll find it at the end of your notes. The, the question I get most often when people make a profession of faith in Christ. When they turn their lives over to Christ. Whatever age they are. And in the first weeks. You know when you're working with the person. To begin to establish this process of growing immaturity. Within the very first days or weeks, the question will always come up. This is what it is. I thought I'd deal with it lastly this morning because it's so important and you're going to find it too as you're working with folks or with yourself. What do I do about ongoing sin? Picture it, right? Here's a person who's lived under the control of sin and disappointment their whole life, however long it's been. And they meet Christ. They have a relationship with Jesus. They realize their sins are forgiven, right? Right? Paul says past, present, and future. Once they get that message, like, okay, George, just a sec. I understand the nature of future sin. I know what future sin means. How do we deal with ongoing sin? Because I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to come. Always get the question, all the time. Let me just deal with it briefly, and then we'll bring our message to a close. Turn with me in your Bibles, please, 1 John 1, 9. Back over to John's Gospels, or Epistles, always helpful. You, need, you should be memorizing these ones. There's so much here. 1 John 1, 9. Let's look at it for just a moment as I bring this, our time to a conclusion. We think about the surprise. The surprise is what the Bible teaches about ongoing sin. 1 John 1, 9. I always like to read verse 8 first because it does give a context. If we claim to be without sin, and you'll say, oh, would someone do that? Yes, they would. If we claim to be without sin, we declare ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Just saying. Verse 9. If, however, we confess our sins, He is faithful, He is just, and He will forgive our sins and purify... I can't avoid the word. It's almost like perfection. can't avoid it. It's there. And purify us from all sin. Now watch this. Watch this. How do we deal with ongoing sin? 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we, and this is the work of the Holy Spirit, right? If we confess our sins. Now, a little bit of Greek, not much. Don't like to get there too much. But let's take the word confess in the Greek. It simply means what? To agree with God. Confess means to agree. So it really says if we agree with God concerning our sin. What's the Holy Spirit doing? He's simply saying to me, George... That was sin. Sometimes I don't know it. Sometimes I miss it. I'm certainly uneducated. I'm certainly inexperienced. Sometimes sin will come along and I really don't get it. The Holy Spirit's job is to say, George, that was sin. Oh, you're right. Amen? That's confession. Holy Spirit, you're right. If you... Agree with God about your sin. You just say, you're right. As simple as that. You're right. I get it. He does the work. He does the cleansing. He does the cleaning. He cleans it all up for this moment. All right? Ongoing sin through the work of the Spirit is simply confessed, agreed to, and gone. You don't even have to ask. Hear this. If you're listening to the Spirit, you don't even have to ask for forgiveness. Right? The text says, you're already forgiven, buddy. The moment you listen, well, what happens in my life? I don't listen. I agree. That's right. The Spirit says, George, that was sin, and I don't even pay attention. That happens, doesn't it? The Spirit says, George, that was wrong, and I don't even pay attention. All right, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. I have to agree that it was sin. Done finished, cleansed, on to more maturity, on to deeper grace. We are in the disciple making business here at Ebenezer, my friends, process of sanctification, purification, becoming more Christ-like, enhancing our community, the people here, who we care about, and enabling them to discover the relationship with Jesus. That's what we're about, not a Baptist denomination right not a particular uh, theology necessarily but a relationship surprise (laughs) it's about a relationship amen let's pray thank you father for the simpleness of your word the profoundness of your word on the other hand thank you for the simple truth of the person of jesus christ this morning we celebrate his death and resurrection around this table father We celebrate who he is and what he did, and we thank you this morning. Those of us here who know and love you, who are working on the process of becoming more mature in you, we thank you for your grace in our lives. For those of us this morning, our Father, who aren't yet sure, who have never trusted you and never trusted Christ, for these people I pray this morning that they may discover the relationship with Jesus today. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's worship once again.